If you got your Bibles, turn to 1 John chapter 4. That's where we're going to be today. We're in the middle of this sermon series called The Real God. And each week we've been talking about a different characteristic of God in hopes that we would know and understand him better. And today we'll be talking about the love of God. It's a good fit, especially with the information coming to you about Beyond the Walls and how we are loving those around us in our community. Hopefully you'll be praying about how God will use you in that ministry next door. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Can we pray? Father, as we open your word, would you teach us what we don't know? Help us to understand it clearly and to hear the truth that comes from your word. Thank you for the gift of grace and love. Amen. Do you remember the first time you told someone other than a family member that you loved them? I'm not, I don't mean to get anybody in trouble. Just, you don't have to say anything out loud. Just, you know, do you remember how old you were? Anybody really young, the first time you told someone you loved them? Or maybe if you weren't bold enough to tell them, you maybe like wrote it down where no one would see it. So-and-so plus so-and-so equals love. <laughs> you know? Or your friends noticed it, and they, they played with you. So-and-so is so-and-so sitting in a tree, right? First comes love. Love, it's one of our earliest and most familiar emotions that we have. You know, youth group love is awesome. You know, I've been, I was a student pastor for a lot of years. Wednesday night, you'd come to, to church, and Sally would come up to you and tell you she's met the man of her life. He's 14, and, and she can, he's amazing, and he's the kind of 14-year-old man that she can see herself, you know, being with forever. And she's just head over heels, excited. They hold hands during the whole service, and and they can't wait um, for their life together. The next Wednesday, she's there, and you say, hey, Sally, where's, where's so-and-so? I can't stand that guy. He's a loser. <laughs> you know? Tony Wine and Carol Bayer Sager, they wrote a lyric that, for people my age at least, was most famously recorded by Phil Collins. The lyric said, when I'm feeling blue, all I have to do is take a look at you, then I'm not so blue. When you read lyrics instead of sing them, they always sound so, so silly. When I'm in your arms, nothing seems to matter. My whole world could shatter, I don't care. Wouldn't you agree 
baby, you and me got a groovy kind of love. So far, I know, at least that I know, Phil Collins has had three wives, so I don't know who he's thinking about <laughs> when he sings that song, but he's got a groovy kind of love with somebody. Our feelings, they change with time, right? In youth love, they change really with fast time. C.S. Lewis said, though our feelings come and go, God's love for us does not. Amen? Even though our feelings about love, they change like the weather, God, it's not the way it works with him. I'm glad to know that. Our passage today is probably one of my favorite passages about God's love. It's short for one thing, so that's good for me. And it includes just a ton of theology. So let's dive into it a little bit closer, okay? 1 John 4, we're going to look at verses 7 and 8 to begin with here. Beloved, John is already setting the, the theme. He, he's talking about love, and so he's going to treat the guys that he's writing to with love. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. The last three words of verse 8 make up what is probably one of the best ways to summarize the entire Bible. God is love. And yet today, those last three words also might be some of the very most difficult words to believe. I mean, if you look at the world around us and the hurt and the suffering, the broken lives, the damaged lives, how can there be a God who really loves? Have you ever asked that question? Has anyone ever asked you, a Christian, that question? And yet here is John insisting that God not only loves, but that love is the very nature of God. God is love. John's not identifying another quality that God has. He's talking about the essence of God's being. It's not simply that God loves. He is love. And for us, whether whatever hard time we're walking through, whatever suffering we're dealing with, for us to question his love is, is, is not to uh, just just question something like we would question a friend whether they're telling the truth or not. It's to question God's very nature. It's to dismiss his character when we claim that he may not be a loving God. It distorts the free grace of God into something way less. It distorts it into a love that is dependent upon the worthiness or attractiveness of the object of that love. You know, like, if I love you if you will do this. Or I love you if you'll look like that. I love you if you'll act like so-and-so. That's, that's kind of human love, right? Have you ever been loved by someone who put conditions on the love that they had for you? Have you ever loved someone that way? But not, not God. Divine love, agape love, God's kind of love, is totally different than that. It cannot be earned. It cannot be deserved. God loves because that's in his nature. I love that we sang that last song. It says, I can't earn it. I can't deserve it. And here in our first two verses, John is connecting human beings who show God's kind of love to salvation. He says, love is from God, and whoever loves God has been born of God and knows God. John himself would say that this word knows, this knowing of God, is really what eternal life is about. In the book, The Gospel of John, chapter 17, 
verse 3, he says, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's Jesus talking as he's praying to God the Father in chapter 17, this high priestly prayer. And he says, this is eternal life. And whenever Jesus says, this is eternal life, we should really pay attention. Because a lot of times we think all kinds of different things are eternal life. When I act a certain way, when I accomplish certain things, when I get a certain amount of my life cleaned up, then I'll have eternal life. But Jesus says eternal life is knowing God and his son who he sent. And if we know God, we have salvation, then that means, and here in 1 John, that we've been born of God. We are his adopted children. We are joint heirs with the one and only Son, Jesus Christ. J.I. Packer says that adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper, and given the family name. Isn't that amazing to think of? We might take someone who's treated us wrong, and if we can really get up enough nerve, we might try to say something kind to them, like, hey, it's all good. God, he takes those who have rebelled against him, brings them in, feeds them, and gives them his last name. Adoption. We didn't earn it. We definitely didn't deserve it. It's simply the grace of God, because God is love. In the rest of our passage today, we're going to find that God's love can be found in two places. First, God's love is seen in the cross of Christ. Look at verse 9 and 10. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. There's a couple of of words that I think we ought to talk about first. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Manifest is uh, not only a cool TV show on right now, but it also what it means is to display or to to be shown clearly. John, in his gospel, chapter 114, a familiar verse to you, says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. He was saying that God was being made manifest through Jesus here on earth. You know the verse, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The death of Jesus, then, is seen as the public appearance of God's love for his people. When God sends Jesus to die on the cross, he's showing everyone how much he loves them. He's making it manifest. He's making it to be shown clearly. And this isn't a reciprocated love. This isn't God meeting us halfway because we somehow decided that we wanted to be made right with him. No, this is God going all the way on his own. He chose to manifest or to show his love to those who did not love him to those who didn't even want to love him, to those who were even in the middle of their rebellion against him. Romans 5, 8 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners. That ought to give you great hope if you're here today and you're not a believer and you think that there is a certain amount of sin that you have to get rid of out of your life before God will love you. No. 
while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The other word I want to show you in verse 10, it says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's a big word. And that word came up last week when Pastor David spoke to us. Propitiation. It's, it's this atoning sacrifice. It's, it's the appeasement or the satisfaction of God's wrath. God is angry at sin. We know that from last week because God is what? He is just. And he cannot deal with sin like that. He must punish it. There's a sacrifice. Propitiation. Not just the appeasement because Jesus didn't say to God the Father about me and my many sins. Oh God, it's good, it's good. Brian's with me. No, we didn't get let off the hook because we knew the right guy. Okay? The word propitiation includes the idea of a sacrifice. Someone had to pay something that cost them dearly. It should have been us paying for it with our own life. But instead, God the Father had a plan. God, the one we sinned against, made the sacrifice, sending his only son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that's love, amen? David Jackman says, It's no help to our understanding to, prevent, to pretend that a loving God would not require an atoning sacrifice because he would not punish sin. You see what he's saying? doesn't help to go around saying God loves so much he wouldn't really make anybody pay for their sin. Because that takes away, David Jackman says, destroys the truth that God is light. God is also light. God is love, but he is light. And in him no darkness dwells at all. So if we try to pretend that he would not punish sin, we're just denying that he actually is just also. And it removes all grounds of morality. No, David Jackman says the nobler biblical way is to magnify the love of God by seeing at what tremendous cost the atonement was made. Do you ever think about the tremendous cost the atonement was made? The cost that God giving up his one and only son Jesus died for our sins. He absolutely had no sin of his own. There was no other reason for him to die. Jesus paid the penalty of separation from God. Father, why have you forsaken me? We're getting close to Good Friday and Easter. We'll probably read that passage. Why have you forsaken me? Because someone has to pay the punishment of being separated from God. Jesus did that for us. And what was the consequence? Verse 9 says, so that we might live through him. So that we might live. The purpose of God sending Jesus and Jesus dying on the cross was so in the place of certain death, we would instead receive eternal life. I mean, that's what we began telling our children as early as they would listen to us, probably before they could even talk back. The truth and, and, and the ugly fact is, guys, we love you and you're cute and everything is perfect, but you actually deserve hell. And you think, why would you tell your kid that? And I would say, because I love my kids so much, I didn't want them to grow up thinking that they had not done anything to God, that they had not rebelled against him. In some way, they were different than the rest of the evil world. No. Born into sin. 
born into a life of rebellion. And they realized, thankfully, at a young age, that Jesus had taken their place on the cross. Braxton and Ainsley, both very young, could say, I know it was supposed to be me on that cross when we would turn the picture Bible to that page. But Jesus did that for me. That's as simple as the truth it can be. It doesn't even need to be more complicated than that with big words and Hebrews and Greeks and all that kind of thing. No, we were supposed to be on the cross. Jesus took our place. And because of that, in our place instead, we receive eternal life. Let's hope. God's love is seen in the cross of Christ. God's love, secondly, is seen in how Christians love one another. Look at verses 11 and 12. Beloved, he keeps saying that, you know, John's a loving guy. Beloved, if God so loved us, that so, he's saying, all the stuff I just said, if he that way loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected. In us, John says, because of all God has done to show us his love, we must be, we ought to be, gratefully obedient by loving each other. This isn't just one of those disciplines that you add to your Christian life if you just feel like you need to. Okay, we don't just go, you know what, I think I'm going to be more loving. No, because of what God has done, we are to be obedient to him. It's a must. It's a ought to be. When our sins are forgiven and we are given the gift of eternal life, there will be a change in our heart. And one of the ways that that change is displayed is in our love for others. As we've been walking through the gospel project, we're getting closer to talking about this idea of God putting the covenant on our hearts. We talked about God giving the, his people the commandments on the stone tablets. And yet it didn't seem to work. They couldn't follow the ten rules. And so he said, what? I'll give you a new covenant, a new commandment, and instead I'm going to write it on your heart. When God comes and rescues us, we get a new heart, and things should look different. And one of those ways is how we treat those around us and how we love, especially our Christian brothers and sisters. See, God provides the reason and the resource. The reason we ought to leave love other people is because God loved us. And the resource, the thing that we have in order to start doing that is the new heart he gives us. In our old heart, we could not love other people because we were about ourselves. We were selfish. If I tried to love someone and they didn't love me back, I would maybe quit loving them. If I tried to love someone and they didn't love me in the way I wanted them to love me, I would quit loving that person. But with a new heart, with a God-shaped heart, even when those are my enemies... I can love them the way God loved his enemies. Now John is saying in this verse 12 that the love displayed between Christians reveals the love of God. Look at verse 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected. I want you to see how huge this is. John, in his gospel, John, chapter 1 Verse 17 and 18 says this, For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Listen to verse 18. No one has ever seen God. It's the exact same statement. 
No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, who's at the Father's side? The Son of God. He has made him known. In the Gospel of John, it's Jesus that makes God known to the people. And in his letter here in 1 John, it's the love of Christians that makes God known to the people. What a responsibility. No one has ever seen God, but Jesus came down and showed the world God. 1 John, no one has ever seen God, but when Christians love each other, the world gets to see God because he abides in them. Wow, that's huge. If the church is the body of Christ here on earth, then she must reflect his character in her relationships. You don't get to claim that you are part of God's body, his, his church, his bride, if you don't act like that bride would act. Is that okay to say that? We reflect God's character because God abides in us. So he's living out of us. John, in his book, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, says it this way, All men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You know that verse. We've used that many times. It's the verse I stand up here and say all the time to try to convince you that you need to be in some sort of loving small group community growing in God's word so that you can be a light to people around you. If you live an individualistic Christian life when you don't go out in public with other Christians loving each other so that the dark world sees that, then no one's going to think that Christianity is very attractive. I'll never forget, we went to a Christmas party, and almost everyone at the Christmas party was part of our small group. And there was a couple that was not part of our small group. This wasn't a small group event. It was just a Christmas party. We just happened to be best friends with all the people in the small group. We ate, played games, laughed, joked around, had all kinds of fun. When the couple that was not part of our small group left that night, I was told that as they walked to the car, the husband said to the wife, did you see that? That's what we're missing. We didn't even talk about small group. We weren't trying to, like, get them to come to our small group. We were just having a Christmas party. But the love in that house that was being shown to one another was attractive. And it made them say, they have something that we don't have. That's the church. You know what they see a lot of times? Church is fussing and fighting, and it just being a really cool, God-shaped looking building for a people that act just like the world in here, claiming to be Christians. That's not attractive. They got that. They don't need something else to get up for on Sunday morning. But when you love one another out in public, that's very attractive. Christ's physical presence is no longer with us on earth. But if people want to see Jesus, they should be able to find him in the church. I pray they'll be able to find him at Heritage The question is this, how are you loving everyone you come in contact with? We talk about this all the time. When we get that name, the family name of God, it better change everything. I tell Braxton, man, your last name is Williams. 
Last name is Williams. It's the name that doesn't get changed as we go down. My last name is Williams. My dad's here. His last name is Williams. And when you go out, son, everything you do reflects on the name of Williams. If you do really great stuff, people go, man, that's a good family. And if you act like an idiot, people go, your dad must be an idiot. <laughs> and I ain't going to have that. When we tell people we're a Christian and we take Jesus Christ's name, when we put that sticker on our car, or when we tell people, oh, yeah, uh, I go to that church, we better act like our daddy. Because when we don't, it reflects poorly on him. Are you with me? Here's the question for you today. I don't want to make this more complex than it needs to be. Do you know God's love? There is a love in the world. I mean, I know a lot of people who aren't believers who really love their spouse. I do. But there is a difference in the love that you can know as a non-believer and the love that you can know as a believer. Why? Because God is love. And if you don't know God, you can't know love. I didn't make that up. The Bible says that, in case you were wondering. So do you know God's love? It is free to all who will trust in Jesus. You don't even have to clean yourself up first. He does the cleaning. I love that song. I had to write down the words. There's no wall you won't kick down, lie you won't tear down, coming after me. The overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. I think a lot of times God has to tear down lies so that we will receive him. He's coming after us, and yet we believe all these lies that the world and Satan want to tell us about ourselves. We're not good enough. We don't deserve it. We could not earn it. Well, yeah, it's what we've been saying. You're not good enough. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it. He's still coming after you. He's just trying to kick down those lies so you'll turn around and receive his love. Man, that's hope. That's hope. That's the most accepting religion I've ever heard of. And if you do know God's love, the question is, can others see it in you? You are his ambassador to the world. What do they call those big signs on the road? Billboard. Sydney's favorite thing. You are his billboard. And we wear it proudly. We buy T-shirts, we put stuff on Facebook or Instagram. We want people to know that we're Christians. Be careful. You better act like your daddy. So many great songs have been written about love, but, but it's love that's not God's love, and so it's fading. And it absolutely will not save us. That kind of worldly love won't rescue us from the punishment we deserve because we've completely rebelled against God. It won't appease his wrath. It won't atone for anything. It's just worldly love. It's passing. It's emotional. So maybe a better lyric for us today as we close would be this. I was sinking deep in sin. Far from the peaceful shore, 
very deeply stained within, sinking to rise no more. But the master of the sea heard my despairing cry. From the waters lifted me, now safe am I. Love lifted me. Love lifted me. When nothing else could help, God's love lifted me. Amen? Let's pray. Father, you are the God of love. There is no other. There is no other love worth seeking except for the kind of love that is everlasting that would wipe away our sins, give us forgiveness and grace and mercy, and allow us to have eternal life with you. What a gift. Father, don't allow us to believe the lie that we must earn it or deserve it. All that would do is weaken what your love is. Your love is so big that it can be given freely. We are grateful for your word that it would teach us what your love is. Father, put in us a new clean heart that would give us the courage to love others all around us, that we would be that ambassador, that billboard, the light for you in this world of darkness. We want to show the world the attractiveness of God's love so that they can experience it for themselves. Send us like you sent your son out into the world, him abiding in us so that others will come to know you, Father. And we live to the glory of your name, Jesus. Amen.